Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey friends, this is Jason Elam. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I love the conversations that we have here, and I hope you do too. But you know what I like even more than listening to the interviews on the podcast? I really love the conversations we're having on the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. It's a safe, secure, private group where you can talk about your doubts and your struggles and faith and religion and all of life in an atmosphere free from judgment and full of love and respect. I would love for you to join the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode, and I hope you'll join us there. Also, please check out our Patreon page. You'll also find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. It's patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. That is where you can sign up to be our patron on Patreon. We could not do this podcast without the 25 supporters who have committed $1 a month or more to supporting the work of this podcast through Patreon. For each giving level, there are specific reward tiers. You can get everything from early access to each new episode of the podcast, all the way up to free copies of my forthcoming book, just for you. Uh, We are publishing articles just for our patrons on Patreon. We are also about to start releasing videos that will be specifically produced just for the patrons of this podcast on Patreon. So would you check that out? Patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes and make a pledge. It's just automatically drafted every month. You can cancel any time and there's certainly no hard feelings about that, but I would love to have your support. It makes it possible for us to do what we're doing and we honestly could not do it without you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My guest today is a wife and mother and to four grown children who served in the U.S. Marine Corps and is currently pursuing a doctorate in psychology, as well as additional degrees in biblical studies and Christian counseling, an introvert dedicated to fitness of both mind and body. She possesses the rare ability to participate in a discussion and see both sides without disparaging those with whom she might disagree. She is the host of the recently relaunched Bookish podcast and is currently writing a book on the grief cycle applied to religious deconstruction. I'm really excited to welcome Michelle Collins to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Michelle, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Start us off by talking about your spiritual journey. Were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? I really was, yes. Um, church is one of my earliest memories. Uh, my grandmother was very adamant that uh, that I attend church, and it was usually with my grandparents that I went. Uh, my mother didn't attend when I was younger, uh, and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and so that was very much a part of my life. Uh, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, I mean— just about everything that you can think of from traditional church roles, um, we were a part of it. So, what stream of Christianity were you raised in? Oh boy, uh, they were. My grandparents went to um, the Church of Christ, so that's where I was baptized. They later left. There was quite a few, if I remember correctly, and I was younger then, but quite a few people left at the same time, and they started their own church. It was called uh, the Shekinah Fellowship, uh, very much charismatic, uh, you know, raise your hands in worship. You've got to be charismatic <laughs> with a name like Shekinah Fellowship. Uh, right, exactly. Um, I went there for years uh, into my teenage years, and they were, it was very, very small, but it was a family. You know, that was that was your 
that was your core group. That was you know, who I hung out with, all the other teenagers that went to church there. And that's who I grew up with. So then as I got older, of course, I, I stepped away from the church for a while. But when I went back, I still kind of embraced that same genre of church, I guess, uh, which was very different from my husband. He came from very conservative community church. But so we kind of stuck to that more charismatic evangelical stream all the way up through. Was that pretty typical evangelicalism as far as, you know, eternal conscious torment and penal substitutionary atonement and all of that? Oh, yeah. Although I will tell you, I didn't know those terms. I mean, I knew hell, of course. Right. No, I wouldn't um, have either. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea there was other, other belief systems out there, to be honest. I, and I that's one of the things I struggle with now. I, I constantly am looking back and realizing I feel very ignorant. And of course, I was. I, I was only raised with what, you know, my parents and grandparents believed. Uh, I was very sheltered. I'm also a very introverted person. So I wasn't, and of course, there was no internet then because, you know, I'm old. Uh, So (laughs) it was, uh, it was difficult to, you know, to come up with any other kind of study or to know that there was anything else even out there. Um, So I felt like, you know, I kind of joke and say, I already felt like we were on the edge of, of, you know, being heretical anyway, because we spoke in tongues. So, you know, and that was for a lot of denominations, that was a big no-no. So, you know, I always felt like we were a little, a little too liberal for most people as it was. And boy, did I find out I was wrong. (laughs) A lot of charismatic churches that I've been around focused heavily on the prophetic and uh, eschatology. Was that your experience as well? Oh, definitely. Uh, Yeah, very much a, a key part of my growing up experience. I was one of those that was very, very obsessed with the idea of end time scenarios. I literally read the newspaper and listened to the news, any new world leaders. I wanted to know about other countries because I was so concerned with how that might affect us, how it might be that time. And and I'm sure you're familiar as well in your background that when you come from a background that believes in that, that you spend a lot of time uh, being told that it's any day now. It's just any day. You know, all the signs point to it, all the numeral, everything that they can think of. And uh, so, yeah, I I spent a lot of years very obsessed. Um, I have all of the left behind books, or I used to, I got rid of them. I had all of them on my bookshelf. I read them, re- you know, repeatedly. Um, Hal Lindsey, all of his books, uh, very much involved with all of that. And uh, pretty much lived in fear, of, of that whole idea. For some reason, even though I, you know, I had accepted Jesus, I went to church, I did all the right things. I, for some reason, always assumed I was going to get left behind. And, uh, I just, you know, all the, uh, this sounds crazy, but all the contingency plans, like what would I do if I was left behind? Who would I look to for help? I mean, just the craziness that goes along with the fear involved in that mindset. And, um, it, it's, I think it's very damaging psychologically in, in all honesty. So, did that did that feel as toxic to you then as it seems to be now? Oh no, was, I didn't know any different. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm you know very sheltered with my belief systems, and that was just the reality. And of course, I could read Revelation; I could see it right there, you know. But nobody had ever explained that maybe that was sim- symbols, or maybe it was allegory, or or for goodness sakes, that Revelation almost didn't make the canon. I mean, nobody ever you know had told me those things. Um, so I just assumed I could read it right here. And of course, you read through that lens that you've already been taught from. So it, it makes it seem so very obvious. So I had no idea. Uh, looking back at it now, like I said, I, I tend to feel very ignorant about a lot of things now. Or kind of silly that I didn't question those things then, but I just didn't. So what was it that made you feel like if Jesus did come back at midnight that night that you were not going to make the cut? <laughs> 
Gosh, I don't know. I think because each one of us knows ourselves oh so well. We know all the darkness that that we try to hide from other people. And I also lived in a in an environment that was highly abusive, physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, even somewhat to some degree sexually. So I, I already felt like I wasn't good enough. I was damaged goods. And uh, so it, it just never made sense to me why I would make the cut. I always just kind of assumed that God was bound to me by a contract because I said some magic words. And and uh, because of that, he had no choice but to take me. But I never believed he was happy about it. And, and in all honesty, even as an adult, there are days I still feel like, why would God even <laughs> want anything to do with me? I know who I am. You know, I know my weaknesses and my foibles. So I think that's probably the biggest part of it is just we know ourselves so well. At what point did you start questioning that evangelical faith of your upbringing? Oh, gosh, I would like to say it was early in life, but it really was not. Uh, I raised my kids in that environment. It wasn't until, I th- looking back now, it's been about eight years ago. About eight years ago, I had some questions that just popped up out of nowhere. And I, I, I don't know where they came from. I mean, I understand the psychological process a little better now. But at that time, I was like, where are these questions coming from? This is, you know, and right away, oh, it's the devil trying to... <laughs> You know, trying to to tempt me to not believe and to cause doubt and all of these things, and and uh, but the questions wouldn't go away. So it hasn't been that long. I'm embarrassed to say. I wish I had thought. I wish I had could say that years ago I started questioning, but I just didn't. I mean, there might have been little questions along the way, you know. But I always just chalked it up to, oh, no, I'm I have more faith than that, and um, and I'm not going to I'm not going to go down that path. So it hasn't been too long, unfortunately. Do you remember what your first question was that kind of challenged some of your preconceived notions about faith? Oh, yeah. I I remember vividly. I had been raised in an environment, as I said, that, you know, God was very, um, oh, gosh, I don't even know what word, impending. I don't know if that's a good word to use or not. He he always seemed like he was right there as a threat. And it was actually, I mean, I, I was told that when I was a young child, like, I may not see everything that you do, but God sees. So it was always, I always felt like God was like just sitting around waiting for me to mess up. And so I lived with the idea that I could lose my salvation on any given day if I wasn't good enough. And so I remember vividly one day, out of nowhere, the thought popped in my head. It was a verse, um, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And out of nowhere, I had read that verse hundreds of times. I had taught that verse. I had, you know, everything. I, I knew my Bible. And and so I, I started thinking about the verse. I'm like, well, why did that pop in my head? And I kind of dismissed it, but it kept coming back. And finally, I was confronted with the idea of how do I lose something that I was never capable of doing anything to gain in the first place? And that doesn't seem fair. And, and so that became a very big question in my mind, and it, it just refused to leave me alone. Um, it was the question that I approached my pastor with at the time and said, I'm really struggling. And at that point, I was I was teaching. I was preaching. I was a worship leader. I was a prayer team partner. I was everything that you could think of. And suddenly I hear I have these, these questions about my faith. And that wasn't met with a lot of, um, a lot of positivity, <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> so talk to us about that conversation. How does that conversation go when you, you've got a spiritual leader that I assume you looked up to and trusted? And you went to them and said, this was uh, that you're wrestling with this question. How was that response? Well, as you said, yeah, he, he was definitely somebody I respected. He had been my best friend for over a decade. 
you know, he was the person that encouraged me the most about you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be in the church preaching with me and teaching with me. He's the one that that put me behind the pulpit. So we were very close. I remember the evening, my husband and I were at, at he and his wife's house for dinner, and I brought up the subject. I said, I have a question. I'm, I'm really struggling with this thought. And I put it out there, and there was there was complete silence for a moment. And then both of them responded in the same way. They both said, well, there's still sin. And that confused me because that was not my question, but it seemed as though that was the linchpin for them, that that I had to acknowledge that there was still sin, and I, I hadn't contended that there wasn't. And so the response that I got was, you know, sometimes if we don't understand something, we need to put it on the shelf, metaphorically speaking, until we're ready to to know the answer. And I said, well, I am ready to know the answer. That's why the question won't go away. And uh, it was just brushed off. It was, um, I don't, I don't think this is a conversation for now. And, and I remember sitting there feeling foolish and as I, as though I had offended somehow, and I struggled with that. And I mean, looking back at it now, I kind of think they didn't have an answer, which was fine. I didn't have an answer. Um, And I would have preferred they had just said that, but instead I was made to feel as though this is not the time or the place for this conversation. And I say I was made to feel, I should say I felt, I don't want to put that responsibility on anybody else. I don't know what was going through their head at that moment. I know how I felt. And I felt as though I had stepped on some toes spiritually. And the relationship did start changing. So what did you do in response to that? Um, we finished our dinner and we went home. And <laughs> and, and at that point, you have to also understand, um, my husband had some questions of his own, but as, as I really started pushing the envelope on what I was thinking and feeling and questioning, even that relationship suffered some. He, he got more than irate with me a few times with regard to how dare you question that, especially when it came to like the Bible and not knowing if there was, you know, if inerrancy was the correct way of looking at things. And it, it just, I tended to kind of close down on a lot of stuff, but then I'm also a person who doesn't quite know when to shut up when they should sometimes. And so the more I wanted to understand, the more I pushed and asked questions. Um, the interesting thing was I was teaching and preaching. I ran a discipleship program in my church at that time, and I had a whole group of people that I was working with. And I, as I began to ask these questions, we all began to talk about those things. And I began to see like real great spiritual growth, not only for myself, but for these people. So I, I didn't understand why this was such a bad thing. I didn't think I was questioning anything all that dire. At that moment, I was just questioning grace. What is grace? What does grace look like? And of course, now, if I mean, if I were to have the discussions with them now that I have, <laughs> we've come a long way, baby. So, <laughs> so it was uh, it was a difficult time. What was the church leadership's response to you being that open with your study group about those questions? Um, well, first and f- foremost, I-, I think they were very concerned. And-, and with, you know, I do respect that as somebody who is, you know, basically the shepherd over a flock, if you will. I mean, you want to look out for the people in your church. And-, and so I do believe that that's what he was doing. But I came under suspicion, which I didn't understand. He had been my best friend for years. He knew me. He knew everything about me. And so I, I didn't understand the suspicion. And, you know, I was called on the carpet a few times in which I said, I'm, I'm teaching right out of your curriculum. I'm teaching from the curriculum you chose. I'm just asking questions along the way for us to think about. Um, I'm not telling them this is wrong and this is what I think. Instead, I, I didn't do that because at that point, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't want to put anybody else in that boat. 
but it, it was it was devastating to me. Um, there were days when he would stand in the back of the room while I while I taught, and I knew he was checking on me. I knew he was making sure of what I was doing, which was very upsetting to me, in all honesty. And the relationship suffered. He, I, I began to be treated more, and I I say this. I don't know if this is if other people know what I mean or not, but and I don't want to offend anybody, but that plastic pastor smile. You know, where it's just, oh, smiling, hi, but it doesn't go all the way to your eyes. I started getting more of that rather than my friend. And I didn't understand what was happening. And I was hurt by it, of course. So, you know, that relationship began to deteriorate, which, of course, caused me a lot of pain because, as I said, I'm introverted, so I don't have a lot of close friendships. And he was one of them, he and his wife both. So that was very frustrating and upsetting to me. So ultimately, was there a point where the church leadership just had as much of it as they could handle and drew a, a line or gave you an ultimatum of some kind? Well, it makes it sound as though I was the lone wolf out there and I wasn't. Um, there was there was quite a few people over a period of a year and a half that had left our church. I never understood why I didn't ask. I felt like that was gossip. I didn't want to do that. Um, I did, however, hear you know the other side of it because, as I said, we were in leadership. My husband was on the board of the church. We, we were very intimately aware of most of what went on in the church. But when it came to those things, I wouldn't, I, I didn't go talk to those people because I felt like that was disloyal somehow, or it would be gossip, and I didn't, I didn't want to be involved in that. So there were quite a few people leaving. Uh, by the time that that I left, I was literally sitting in congregation, and during the sermon, I was getting text messages from around the room, Michelle. What about where the Bible says this? What about where the Bible says that? And I was so conflicted because, again, it felt very disloyal. Like, my friend is up there preaching, and I'm getting questions. Instead of them going to him, they're coming to me. That felt very disloyal. I also was hearing all of their concerns and problems and and everything else, and it, it really became a lot to deal with. There was also trouble on the board. There was all kinds of—so it wasn't just me questioning grace. There, there was a whole lot of stuff that went into the into the whole inevitable split that came between my my husband and I and our church. So and it was very difficult. It was very painful and very emotional for quite a while, for over a year. How did that split actually take place? Did they come to you and just say you can't come to church here anymore or how was that? Well, there was a couple things that happened. As I said, I was a worship leader. I also was recognized and again, I kind of cringe at using these saying these things now, but I was recognized as a prophet in the church. I also was somebody, though, anytime I gave a prophetic word, I almost had to throw it up. I I, I didn't easily do that because I was so worried I was going to be wrong. Um, and I remember giving a word in church in the middle of worship at one point. And as soon as I did, I got this feeling like something just shifted in this room. Something changed. And I didn't know what it was. But the next week, the pastor came to me and he, right before worship, and we had practice right before service was supposed to start. He said, can you please come chat with me? And I said, yes. And I knew I was being called on the carpet. And I got back to his office, sat on the other side of his desk, and he told me I had been out of line in giving this word the previous week. And I said, in what way? I said, was there something wrong with the word? Which was always my first thing. What, did I give an incorrect word? He said, no, the word was fine. I said, then what was wrong? Well, you were out of order. I said, how was I out of order? I said, there, it was, it was just a word. It, there was no tongues involved. There was nothing involved that would have required, you know, biblical interpretation, nothing like that. And it was very upsetting conversation to me. And, and looking back, I really feel as though he knew that was going to upset me greatly. Uh, and that's why he chose to do it when he did. And although I'm, I'm 
kind of speaking here and I shouldn't probably do that because I'm not privy to his thoughts, but that's how it felt to me. So I was very frustrated, hurt, and uh, disagreed with him, which did not go over well. Uh, I had gone home. I had said something to my husband about it. My husband was on the board, so he chatted with him. And as I said, there were a lot of other things going on on the board at the time that that were just out of line. We had stepped away from our denomination. We were independent. So there was a lot of moving parts at the time. And uh, my husband finally came to me and he said, Michelle, I don't think I can be on the board anymore. I think I need to resign. And I said, well, okay, fine. So he resigned on a Sunday morning right after that event had happened. So I was kind of keeping a low profile. I was kind of licking my wounds and keeping a low profile. He resigned and I asked when he came out, I asked, how did it go? And he said, well, I don't think it was received well. And I said, okay, well, it is what it is. As long as you know, you, you've done what you think you should do. And uh, that Wednesday following that resignation, we got an email telling us that we were going to be leaving the church and that uh, they would pray us out the following Sunday. So we got to stand on a stage in front of the congregation and act as though everything was copacetic and friendly, and we were just being sent on our way for something better, um, which was not the truth. So the church or the the pastor, the leadership, they broke up with you by email. Yes. (laughs) Yes, quite honestly. I've never put it that way before, but yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) And then they wanted you and your husband to come stand in front of the congregation and, yes. and pretend like you were being sent out to another ministry or another for your next mission or the next season of your ministry or whatever. Yeah, uh, it was, it wasn't just us. There was another family at the time who were very good friends of ours. Um, they had chose to leave as well. So all of us were put up on the stage together. And I remember I was angry at this point. I was very angry. And uh, I said, I'm not standing on that stage. I, I will not. That's hypocritical. I am not doing it. And they all convinced me, my family and this other family convinced me. They said, we need to do things the right way. We don't want to cause a problem. We don't want, you know, to be, you know, the reason for gossip and and all of the things that you say that are very Christian, you know. And uh, so I, I inevitably ended up on the stage and I remember standing there trying not to cry and just being devastated because I've I've lost my best friend. I'm losing my family. I'm losing... I'm losing my church family. I'm losing everything. And I'm standing there crying. And and so, yes, it was presented that sometimes in families, people move on. Um, we're sad to see you all go. We're going to pray for you for the next thing in life, whatever. I don't remember the exact verbiage. I, I do remember looking out at the congregation and the people that I taught and some people that were very good friends crying. And uh, because they had no idea. I mean, I hadn't said anything about any of this. And uh, so, yeah, he prayed for us and he turned around and he hugged me. And I remember I just broke down and started crying and he hugged me and he said, it's going to be okay. Patted me on the back and he turned around and walked away. And that was that. And uh, of course, I had people afterwards, you know, why are you leaving? What happened? Can you tell me what's going on? And I'm standing there in a state of shock and I, I can't do it. I can't say anything. As mad as I was, I can't say anything because I'm, I'm not going to do this incorrectly. You know, even if there's a correct way to do it, I don't even know if there's a correct way to be kicked out of church. (laughs) But I was doing everything I could. Right. Yeah. The mindset you were a part of at that time taught you to honor the, you know, the man of God or the the authority of the house. And you were trying to leave the right way, even though you were basically being very, as you put it earlier, politely 
banished from the family. Pretty I mean, much. you were being kind of pushed out the door. Yeah. Uh, you did not say to the pastor, we're planning to leave. Would you send us out? He said, you're leaving. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And I, you know, oh, I've thought goodness. back on that a few times and I've asked my husband, I said, am I remembering this incorrectly? Like, <laughs> you know, maybe I've created a scenario in my mind that's not true. And he said, no, you're absolutely remembering it correctly. That is what happened. So, you know, over the, I mean, it's been seven years now, I think something like that, almost seven years. I, st- I mean, I still will stop and question, you know, and, and try to, to give the benefit of the doubt where I can. But yeah, I lost, I lost my best friends. I lost my church family. And again, I, it, I ended up feeling so very badly because as I said, other people had left and, and I knew that they had left for, you know, their reasons or, and there was hard feelings. I had never gone to them to find out why, because as I said, that felt wrong. But I realized that in not in keeping in not keeping in contact with them, I had literally cut them off, and that's how I now felt, and I was devastated by it. So I actually went back to some of those people and reconnected and found the relationships and apologized and said, "I'm so sorry. It was not done out of malice. I, I just didn't know what to do or what to say or if I should, you know." And and I've I've hopefully repaired those relationships. I think I have. And now I've had people that have left since then come to me and, uh, and share their pain with me. And, and I've got to sit with them and commiserate with them and feel angry all over again for them. And so, yeah, it's, and I don't, I don't think that that, I hate the idea that that's not, that that is a, a common thing, but I think it is. I think it's been a lot of people's experience, not just in that church, but I mean, in general to lose those relationships. And that's been, I think one of the hardest things in, in the whole process of learning learning and questioning your beliefs is that you lose those relationships um, because people are afraid. It just feels like growing up in a very similar environment. That church was our whole community. That church was our whole family. And so for that to be severed in that kind of way would be such a drastic undoing of our community, our support group. What did that do to you? Oh, I was devastated. As I, as I mentioned, I, I, I couldn't function. And, and I had been so busy for so many years in the church that that first Sunday I didn't have a church service to go to. I sat on the couch and, and wrestled with my thumbs, basically, like, I need to be doing something. I, I couldn't relax. Um, and again, I was still so hurt and, and angry and confused. I, I, I couldn't function. And as I, I've made mention before that when people start questioning their beliefs, sometimes you're doing that you know, maybe it's one or two things like you're questioning hell or you're questioning whether you believe the Bible is inerrant or not. And you can kind of, you know, you can reconcile those thoughts and you can kind of go on from there. But there are people, not just myself, but lots of people who have been forced, forced into the process of questioning their beliefs in a place of anger. And that is a hard one to get out from under. And so I, I, have dealt with a lot of anger for quite a few years. Um, not so much anymore, although when I come across somebody else who's been treated badly or, you know, I think back on that, on that period of time in my life for too long, I end up finding that emotion again, which is, you know, something that as, as you had mentioned, I'm writing on grief and deconstruction. That's very much a part of the grieving process. Anger is very much a part of the grieving process. And you don't just linearly, in a linear fashion, move through those things. You, you, have, you, you go back and forth between those different emotions of grief. And they can come out of nowhere. 
you know, and uh, I had a conversation with my husband the other night. I don't even remember now what it was, but it, I felt that flash of anger all over again. And I thought, oh my gosh, I thought I would, had moved past that already, but you just never know. So it's, it's, it's affected me very deeply on an emotional level in the form of depression and anger. Uh, I didn't really deal a whole lot with bargaining, but yeah, grief and or depression and anger have been holding my hands for quite a while in this process. So there's still something I'm working on trying to get past. So how long did it take for you to start to feel like the wounds were healing from that experience? Uh, well, I, I mean, if, if we liken it to a wound, of course, you know, depending on the severity of the wound there, you know, is a scabbing over process and that can be anything from a little tiny scab to, you know, some great big thick monster, <laughs> you know, on a very large wound. It took a while. I, as I said, I didn't know what to do with myself on Sunday morning. So I actually started hiking. Uh, I live in a beautiful area with a lot of hiking trails and I started hiking. I did reconnect with some, with somebody that I had known from church uh, who had left previous to me. And we started hiking together and we spent Oh, gosh, two or three years hiking together every Sunday morning. That became church for us. And her mother started hiking with us, who was somebody that had no interest in Christianity or or God on on a Christian level at all. She had no patience for it. And they were both so gracious. Um, I would just talk, you know, and a lot of what came out of my mouth was anger and not in a very nice way. And I can remember her mother speaking with me one day and my friend stopped and she looked at me and she says, I need you to understand how momentous this is. And I said, what's that? And she says, my mother will not discuss this stuff with anybody. And she comes out here every Sunday and she talks with you about it. And I said, well, why do you think that is? Because I'm the one yelling in the middle of the trails. And she's like, no, because she said that she respects the fact that you can honestly express your emotion, even anger about God and about other people. And so we we spent, as I said, a couple years doing that, and they're still very dear to me, both of them. Um, we haven't been we haven't been able to hike as much lately, but um, so long answer to your question. It probably took at least a couple years before the initial rawness of that uh, abated to some level. Now, I think some of us have a tendency, if we have a bad experience with a church, to try to kind of dust ourselves off and say, well, it was just that particular church or those particular people, and then throw ourselves into maybe a different stream of Christianity or a different type of church. Did you go through any of that? I did not. Uh, I kind of backed way off. I wanted nothing to do with it. And honestly, when I when I finally was able to relax on a Sunday morning without feeling like I had to be doing something, I started to really enjoy that relaxation. And I, I have not given that up. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't need to be busy like that anymore to have a relationship with God. And I, and I, as I look back at that, I think on some kind of psychological level, that was me trying to be good enough for God. And I, I just don't believe that way anymore. Um, so I didn't really throw, I threw myself into some other things. Like I said, I started hiking. I started, you know, I started writing. Writing became a very big outlet for me. So I did kind of throw myself into those things, but not necessarily anything religious. Although I will say that out of a streak of rebelliousness, when I was asked to leave church and I thought just, I apparently had asked some dangerous questions. I thought, well, now I'm just going to go learn anything and everything that I want to learn. So I did start following some people on social media uh, that were very uh, educated as far as um, theological issues. I've read so many books, it's not even funny. I can't even rem remember the number of books I've read on theology, different viewpoints. 
Um, and I really started educating myself. So I guess I did to some degree throw myself into that, but not so much into community and relationship. I, I had been burned and did not want to go down that road again. And, and then I did reach a point where I kind of stepped back even from the education on theology because I, I just needed a break from, I needed a break from God, if I'm allowed to say that. I needed a break from God. He had been the uppermost in my mind my entire life, either through fear of him, trying to be good enough for him, or worrying about how I was supposed to relate to him at this point. Um, I just took a whole step back and said, that's it for right now. How long did that break from God last? Oh, it's still, it's still going on. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I have found myself, and I do believe this is a part of the healing process. I have found myself very much missing that feeling of connection with God. And and I do find myself wanting to communicate, to pray, but then I'll stumble over that thought because I'll, I'll question my own motive. Well, are you wanting to pray because you need something, or are you just missing the relationship? Well, nine times out of 10, it's usually because you're in a tough spot and you really, you really want some direction, um, which feels inauthentic to me. So, I, so I'll so i stop myself. But then I'll think, I've had people, other people tell me, God doesn't mind, just go sit with him. So I, I, I tend to think I still find God in nature. So I'll go sit outside or I'll go walk or I'll go hike a trail and just be quiet for a little while and listen. But I, I don't approach God the way I used to. I don't have a set prayer time. I don't read my Bible every day. I don't attend a meeting. I don't do all of those things that are very habitual in nature that we tend to look at as the definition of Christianity. I don't do those things anymore. I really feel like, and I have felt like for a while, that I need God to be better than what I believed Him to be. And if he if He's not, if He's not better than what I can conjure up, then there's a problem. And so I'm still kind of wrestling with those thoughts and ideas. I still know, you know, all the answers. I know the Bible answers. I know all the right things to say, but I, I don't do them or say them because that feels inauthentic to me. Mm. One of the common responses, especially from church leaders, when we go through a deconstruction season and we leave church or take a church break or take a break from God even, is you've got to come back to church in order to heal because that is your community and you have to have that community in order to heal properly. Where do you find community today? Uh, well, to be honest, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, I'm introverted, so I don't need a whole lot of people in my community. <laughs> as a matter of fact, uh, I get a little nervous and there's too many people around. I I'm very much a gym rat. Uh, I'm a bodybuilder, so I spend a lot of time in the gym and I have one or two friends there. Uh, that I work out with and get, you know, have relationship with. So that's been helpful, completely away from the subject of God or, you know, Christianity or anything. So that's been helpful. My largest community, however, is my online community. Uh, that's the people that I met that were like-minded, that had shared my experience to some level. A lot of those friendships that I made online have become face-to-face -face friendships. One of the things that that always troubled me about relationships in church is that they're just a little too convenient and it's kind of lazy. And what I mean by that is I see the same people every Sunday. So, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life? Not because they're really interested, but because that's just what you say when you see people. And that's not to say those people weren't there for us when we needed things or we were there for them when they needed things. We were. But it wasn't an intentional on-purpose relationship, whereas now those relationships that I've created are intentional and on-purpose. I have to work at those, and I'm I'm notoriously bad at it, but those people that have become face-to-face -face friends, I will travel to see them if they're going to be close to me. I will make time in my day to talk with them, which was not my experience before. So 
my relationships are very different now. And I know there's a lot of people that, as you mentioned, uh, if you don't go into a building, they have a problem with that. And I've had quite a few heated discussions with with different pastors over that as well, <laughs> that, that I don't need to walk into a building to have a relationship with somebody. And I find that my relationship is much more authentic if it's an on-purpose relationship rather than just one of convenience. Yeah, it really surprised me when I started having some actual relationships with people that I, you know, cared enough to check in on and they checked in on me, you know, day to day, how superficial those church relationships had been, even though I thought they were the bedrock of my life. Yes, it's amazing. They <laughs> really were, as you said, a matter of convenience. We just happened to see each other twice a week. Right, exactly. And and again, like I said, it doesn't mean those people weren't there if you needed something. We were always there for one another. No, of course. But I didn't go out of my way. I'm not... I'm. I'm not a traditional, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right thing to say. I'm not a traditional girl in that I like to go shopping with people or have lunch. I don't do those things. As a matter of fact, I don't have much patience for those things. So all these ladies would want to go to lunch and I'd be like, no, I don't think so. And so I always felt bad. Like, you know, they thought I was trying to be antisocial or something. It just wasn't me. So I think those opportunities were there. And part of the reason that I didn't fit into them is because of my personality. So I'll own that. But but I do find that it's just too convenient. And I actually wrote about that at one point right after I left churches. I really had to go out and search out those relationships now that were meaningful to me, that meant something, that were giving me something in my life that was valuable, as opposed to just a, hey, how are you moment. Let's talk about your podcast for a minute. Bookish, the canon continues. How did life lead you towards that podcast? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty mouthy. Uh, I don't know. The publisher approached me and uh, said, hey, I have an idea for a podcast and you read a lot. Um, I think this would be a really great fit for you. What do you think? And uh, I said, well, okay, I've never done a podcast before. Uh, I do love to read um, and I do like to talk about my opinions on what I read. So uh, yeah, it sounds like a good fit. And it has been, uh, I truly, truly enjoy as as I've said, I read a ton, so I obviously enjoy that, but I have enjoyed that process. I still get very, very nervous every time I'm about to record uh, or I have to chat with somebody. I have one that's coming out soon. I felt like such a, an idiot. <laughs> I knew I understood the subject matter, but I could not get my mouth to work. I don't know if you've had that problem on your podcast or not, Jason. But <laughs> every single episode. So I'm having this whole conversation about my medic theory, no less. <laughs> And Renee Girard with this person who's very passionate about it. And I couldn't get my brain to work. And at one point, I'm trying to say something and it just wouldn't come out. And he had to literally pick it up and carry it for me. I felt so stupid. <laughs> so that one hasn't aired yet. So that'll be extra fun for me when that one comes out. <laughs> and it's probably not as bad as I thought it was, but it felt pretty bad in the moment. But uh, it's been it's been great. And I, I, of course, I get to read a lot of books that maybe I would not normally read. And I don't always agree with the books I read. Uh, you know, which is, is interesting. Uh, it's hard to talk about a book that you don't agree with because you want to give, you want to give respect to the author for their work. I mean, they've put a lot of diligence and work behind it, but at the same time, you know, you, you want to be honest in your opinion on it as well. So that I faced that challenge early on. I was like, how do I say this nicely <laughs> without, uh, offending? But again, I don't know. You're always going to offend somebody, I guess. So it's better just to be honest. Talk to us about some of the books that you're looking at in your first few episodes. Um, well, the first episode dropped yesterday. I did a book called Bitten by a Camel, Leaving Church and Finding God um, by Kent Dobson. It was his journey on deconstruction. 
And I was actually, my mom just called me this morning and she's like, hey, I bought that book you talked about yesterday. I said, wait a minute, you didn't think that was my book, did you? And she's like, no, 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 I wondered if it was, but then I realized it wasn't. I said, okay. (laughs) As I thought, you know, it's my mom, she's buying my book. But I told her, I said, well, what's interesting is that he, of course, shares his deconstruction of a lot of the tenets of Christianity, which is what a lot of books do. They're talking about what they, what beliefs they had changed. Whereas what I'm writing about is not doing that. And so a lot of the books that I read along this subject matter tend to feel a lot a lot like they're the same book, uh, just from a different perspective, which is fine. Um, so that was a great book. I really loved I really loved his perspective that this was a man that climbed Mount Sinai to find God, literally. And then God, of course, got to the top and found out God doesn't live on the top of Mount Sinai. So uh, it was an interesting story. But I have a couple others. Um, uh, what does Paul say about women? That one will be coming up. Um, I saw Satan Fall Like Lightning uh, by Rene Girard. Oh boy, I've got quite a few that are lined up, but we did one. Oh my gosh, I'm not remembering the name of it. Living Living Christ, Living Buddha, something like that. That one, oh my gosh, fantastic book. Mm. Um, and and coming from an evangelical background, I never believed there'd come a day when I thought, wow, maybe I'm more Buddhist than I am Christian. <laughs> But after reading that book, I was just in awe of it. The gentleman that picked that book will be coming back to do another one with me, as will the one that picked uh, I Saw Satan Fall Like Lightning. He's going to come back and do another. Uh, They're both authors. And well, one of them is uh, Kevin Miller. I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin Miller or not. The Hellbound documentary filmmaker? Yes. Yeah, he's the one that had to pick me up and carry me through the interview on, <laughs> on, <laughs> on the uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So, uh, but yeah, he's got a new documentary coming out this next month. So that's really exciting. So that podcast will be dropping about the time his documentary comes out. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, just so many books. I've done a lot of books uh, previously on, um, on black history, which were fascinating. And I learned so many things I had never learned before and was in awe of. I've got one coming up. I'm still trying to figure out how to do. It's called Unclobbered. I don't know if you've heard of that one or not. I have, yeah. Yeah, and and of course, a very difficult subject matter for right. Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm still trying to figure out how I want to approach that one. But the book was fantastic. Um, so just so many. There's so much out there to learn and to read about, you know. And unfortunately, I don't think most of us have a lot of time to sit and do that. And we may just not know what's out there. Right. So I think that's one of the the values the podcast brings is it introduces you to books that maybe you've not heard of or authors you haven't heard of and concepts and ideas. Um, and so that's what I, my hope is anyway, that it's, it's going to be beneficial for those that don't necessarily get to read like I do, that at least it, it introduces them to different subjects and different people and authors. Now, you've been talking some about what you're writing yourself. It seems like for a while now, uh, all of my friends have a deconstruction book. Um, and, and, I'm, yes. and I'm finishing my own deconstruction <laughs> book right now. <laughs> so how is your, I mean, yours is very interesting to me because it seems like you're applying psychology and, you know, some of your education to the process of deconstruction and the grief cycle. Tell us about your book and why you're writing it. Oh, boy. Uh, well, my book, um, which I've been writing now for quite a while, uh, much to the consternation of many people <laughs> who've been waiting for it, me included. What, my book was originally a thesis idea for my doctorate. Of course, as I was living through this process of deconstruction and questioning, I, I had this grand revelation at one point that, God, I feel like I'm in grief. And, and all of a sudden, I thought, that's what this is. And so it, it started spurring on these thoughts of how do the two correlate? 
And so it was originally a thesis idea. The thesis idea was entitled The Psychological and Emotional Effect of the Deconstruction of a Belief System and Its Application to the Grief Cycle, which by the time I get done saying that, most people have glazed over um, because it sounds oh so interesting. So uh, that was going to be my thesis. But then the more I thought about it, I was living that process. And of course, writing had been very therapeutic for me along the way. I have been writing uh, well, not necessarily, a, it's not a blog. I had a page on Facebook and for years I just wrote. And so it's interesting to go back and read through there because you can see the shift in my evolution and the evolution in my theology. But I, I wrote more as after I left the church. And so I thought I really need to write about my process because maybe it'll help me. It'll be therapeutic for me. And so then I decided, well, I'm going to write on this subject. Maybe it's not a doctoral idea or thesis idea. Maybe this is just, I need to write it. And so it's it sounds very scholarly and dry and all that, but the book I'm writing actually is not. I'm very sarcastic, a little snarky about things, and I really went deep into the, the psychology of what was happening in that process. There's a lot that goes on in in our in our psychological processes and our brain chemistry that is not necessarily common knowledge. And as I was studying psychology, I started coming across these ideas and hypotheses from former psychologists, you know, or or that have passed on or whatever. And I thought this really applies. And so the more I started researching, the more I realized there's a very real reason why we believe what we believe for so long. And then suddenly our, our beliefs start shifting. There's a reason that that happens. Um, and it's fascinating in all honesty, uh, or it is to me anyway. Um, and so I started researching into cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias then I went into some deeper psychological processes, uh, an aperceptive mass. So I'll just throw some terms out there. <laughs> but all of this, again, sounds kind of dry and boring, but it's it's so applicable to this process. And then finally arriving at the place of grief as a reason for much of the emotion in this in this, you know, very difficult process. I make a point in the book, and I, I mentioned here a little bit ago, that if your deconstruction started from a very easy place, and I use easy as a relative term, not as any kind of judgmental term, but if, if, you, if you kind of eased into deconstruction very positively with a sunny outlook, you're, you're probably not going to have as an emotional ride as somebody else who was shoved into it in an angry fashion. And so I liken that to grief. Uh, If you have a relative that you know is going to pass away from old age and you get to spend time with them and you get to talk with them and work through it, you're going to grieve, but it's not going to be that grief that comes if like somebody was murdered in your family. (laughs) It sounds so dramatic, but those are very different kinds of grief. And so that's why I get one of my main frustrations in any conversation surrounding deconstruction is when people begin to put their process on somebody else and they'll say, well, you should be over it by now. That's a big no-no in a conversation with me. Nobody gets to tell me when I'm done and nobody gets to tell anybody else when they're done. Um, They don't get to tell me that, well, you've been angry long enough. No, you don't get to tell me that. Um, I would never walk up to somebody who was in grief and say, okay, well, you've just been depressed long enough. That's enough. No, because that's their that's their, it's based on their relationship and their personality and their experience, their familial history, their environment. Every, all of these things play into this process for them, and so grief grief is very subjective. As is this process of deconstruction. Both are very personal, and what may work for me doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. They may look a little bit alike, 
but in function, they are not. And uh, so I became more and more fascinated by that idea. And so I, I wrote from that perspective, the psychological. As I said, a lot of the books that I've read on deconstruction are specific to the tenets of belief that changed. Mine is more about the reasons why everything changes, not necessarily specific to any one thing that you change your belief on. Well, that sounds fascinating. I'm really looking forward to that book. Is there, is there a timetable for the release of the book? Well, I finally, finally finished it. It's going to go to editing. Uh, I don't know. Um, in talking with the publisher, it's going to come out this year. I don't know what his timetable is on that. And again, I still have to go through editing and, you know, all the review process and, and all of the stuff that goes along with publishing that I know nothing about. So <laughs> at this point, I'm just happy to have it written. That's a monkey off my back. And I found that it was difficult. I, I was feeling the pressure of taking so long to write it, but then I realized I can't write about something that I don't know yet. And so when you're talking about grief, you're talking about, you know, that, that final nirvana of acceptance, you know, at grief. I didn't have that experience yet. Uh, and I don't know that I all the way do now, but I understand it better. So I was able to write about it for the longest time. I couldn't though. I couldn't, I, in all honesty, I was like, I cannot write about something I have not yet experienced if I'm writing an experiential book. So it, it's taken me a while longer, but I'm hoping that it's this year. I'm, I'm almost positive it'll be this year. I just don't know the time frame on it. So well, I'm really looking forward to that. Have y'all settled on a title? I know I don't. And that was one of the things I'm struggling with because I'm like, well, I can't use my thesis title. That's just boring as all get out. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I have a couple other ideas for some stuff, other stuff I want to write now uh, in the psychological process. And so I don't know how they're all going to fit together. So I don't know if I wanted to be a Keith Giles, you know, and have a, a hook where all my books right. are. <laughs> the yeah. same thing. He's um, got a good thing going with that Jesus series. I know, right? I said, he got a whole little uh, kingdom work in there. <laughs> he does. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So I don't know. I've I've, I've had different um, different suggestions. I don't. And some of them have been very good. Um, one of them that I really liked, but it sounds. I was told it sounds more like a chapter title than a book title. I liked grieving God mm. because I really do feel like that's what that process is. But but. The book is more about a lot of other psychological processes as well. So I don't know that that really, it may just be a chapter title. And I had considered metamorphosis because uh, I'm enthralled with that whole idea of the metamorphosis of like the butterfly, you know, the a butterfly, um, which I liken throughout the book. So I don't know. I, I kind of was hoping that the, the publisher is going to help on that. I even thought, well, I'll call up Keith and <laughs> Keith's great at things like that. He came up with the title for the podcast, so. I was like, maybe, uh, maybe I can get Keith on board to help me figure out a title. So we'll see. <laughs> well, once you figure that out, let us know and we'll uh, spread the word. I'm looking forward to your book. How can listeners engage with you and your work online? As we said, the podcast just dropped again. You can find that at choir.com. It's on Podbean. It's on iTunes and all the, all the normal ones. I don't stay, I don't, not on that side of it. So I, I don't know all their names specifically, but it's out there on all the major um, podcast channels. Um, I'm always on Facebook. That's been for years now, my main outlet. I'm on Instagram, but Instagram is more specific to uh, my bodybuilding. So I don't know. Some people aren't interested in that. And that's about it. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of outlets at the moment. That may change. We'll see. No websites or anything right now. Friends, we're going to link to the Bookish podcast. We're going to link to Michelle's Facebook page in the show notes. And we will also update this episode once the title of the book has been released. And we'll add that and, and include a link where you can get a copy of that book once it's available. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I've had a good time. Thank you so much. 
You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.